You are looking live at the Sons of Saturday. Presented. Are they looking? Are they listening? What are they you, doing? <laughs> you just pressed play on the Sons of Saturday podcast. It is Wednesday, 9.13 p.m. 32, 33, 34. July 22nd, <laughs> 2020. Bill and I just wrapped up a fantastic interview with Brett Chiancia of Pick 6 Previews. It was terrific, Bill. I, I had a lot of fun. What were your thoughts on the uh, the interview with Brett? My thoughts are that guy knows more about college football than I think I know more about myself. I mean, hats off to him. Incredible season preview. Got to check that out. If you're on the website, the link to check out his season preview is in, is in the write-up. If, if you're not, Give it a look. Complete summarization of every FCS, or I'm sorry, what is it called now? FCS, BCS, whatever. Power 5 school and independence. So you Notre Dame fans out there can get your uh, your Irish headlines. But uh, just fantastic. Fantastic uh, interview with Brett. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. We got some quick storylines here. But first of all, got to kick off this episode with a hokey haiku brought to you by the Main Street Pharmacy. The best. Shout out to our friend, Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. The best pharmacy in the New River Valley in Southwest Virginia. In Virginia? I mean, I think so. Don't go to, don't go to those corporate big pharmacy establishments. Make yourself at home at the Main Street Pharmacy with Dr. Counts. He loves the Blacksburg community. He loves Virginia Tech. He loves Hokies, and you should love him. You go in there, you get your COVID-19 necessities, and he will greet you with a smile. Every time. Beneath the mask, you could see the smile in his eyes. So (laughs) get on down there. Say hello to Jeremy. Tell him the sun sent you. Hokie haiku. Here we go. Heisman votes are in. Pick six previews. Gets my vote. Bill Haiku debut. I will say this is this is true. Um, we did a Pat breakdown, and he said that it's syllables. So syllables. As long as I can clap along, I think I can figure out how to do this haiku thing. So I have not made a haiku submission, but I will do that <laughs> coming up soon. I can't wait. I'm excited. So the high Q debut is in the whoa, whoa, whoa works. Um, we got some big news today, Pat, uh, out of not where I live, but where I pay rent. Uh, sore subjects, but fill us in, Pat. Bill, really excited for your high Q debut. Malachi Thomas out of Hartwell, Georgia. Running back commit, committed to Virginia Tech today, joined the hard hat, hard hat you know, he's from Hartwell, Georgia, Hart County High School. He joins the Hart Hat class of 2021 in the vote, recruited by Coach Lecht and Coach Vice. He's six foot, 180 pound running back. Bill, we watched the film and, and we saw some great film. How about some numbers? Drop some numbers on me. The most ridiculous number is the fact that by 24 7 and all major recruiting sites, Malachi Thomas is unranked don't let that fool you as you evaluate this player malachi thomas rushed for 1942 yards last year he all purpose did for 2862 yards and had 30 
six touchdowns. So recruiting sites, pick it up, put on the uh, put on the old taperino, and uh, give him a look. But I'm really excited about Malachi. He's in the boat from Georgia. Um, Al Jones dialed up a banger. Uh, made my uh, made my poster boy debut. Uh, excited about that, but really excited about him and a great addition to the class. No doubt about it. You know, you mentioned that he is unranked and it actually brings our class average down, brings us down to 48th in the country. You got to think that there's some missed evaluations out there on these recruiting sites this year. These, these 2021 classes are fluctuant, I guess, volatile. If you follow the stock market, I mean, if you can't get Malachi Thomas evaluated at camps, you can't have uh, some of these scouts evaluating him and putting uh, his content on the sites. This 2021 class, is it's going to be different no matter how you look at it. I look at Virginia Tech's class, and honestly, I think it's extremely underrated from a ranking perspective. I mean, you know, just from, from Chance Black, from Malachi Thomas, from Jalen Stroman, uh, take a look at Will Johnson. I mean, these are guys who could be getting bumps. Uh, a couple other guys could get bumps too, but we won't really know what's going to go on with this 2021 class because not everyone's going to get the eyeballs and the exposure. So we'll see about that. But uh, Daniel's in Germany. I mean, we can't evaluate ta- talent in our own country. You think we're evaluating people in Germany? I mean, come on. What are we, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Yeah, we, we had Coach Paul Alexander on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he, he actually worked with the Brockenmeyer twins. I think they're twins. They both committed to Alabama in the last week or so. Tommy's a five-star rated athlete uh, as an offensive tackle. And then you got James, who's a center, and he's a four-star. Both of these guys are out of Fort Worth. Danny Jell Militich, who's you know one of our lowest-rated, quote-unquote, recruits in this class his coach Paul Alexander who you know evaluates talent like this you know gets paid to do this has Danny Jellen as you know top three or four uh, recruits of this 2021 class and he's a 0.79 overall the guy's in Germany man like how do you evaluate that Paul Alexander's working directly with him so you could really take these rankings with a grain of salt you know to an extent moving along here got some more good news out of Virginia Tech's recruiting department. So I need more gusto. I need more gusto. We've been talking about this forever. Like it finally happened. Come on, bring it on. Come on. Okay. Let's go. Here it comes. All right. All right. All right. So we got some great news today out of the recruiting department. It became official. Former Virginia Tech standouts, Corey Fuller and Jaron Gavea Winslow have joined the recruiting staff. You guys remember John Yetzi came on the podcast in February, right around signing day. I do. And he was comparing Virginia Tech to UVA, having a complete lack of resources, comparing Tech to Florida, who had, you know, triple or quadruple the amount of recruiting staff and support for the recruiting department. You know, sending out mailers, um, you know, coordinating schedules with recruits, communicating with them, setting up Zoom calls, just DMing them on Twitter and getting to know them. We've got – we have doubled – our support staff, essentially. So it's it's Yetzi and it's Mark Dyethorn. And now we get Corey Fuller. We get Jaron Gouveia-Winslow. All that heavy lifting, we're going to have a lot more uh, heavy lifting to go around with a lot more hands and guys with strong legs who can carry it, man. These guys played for Coach Beamer and they're coming to Fuente's program. You got Corey Fuller. 
who has the NFL pedigree. I mean, he was a track star at Kansas, transfers to Virginia Tech, puts up really good numbers his senior year. I mean, I had 834 yards receiving and six touchdowns in his career uh, at Virginia Tech, very short career, then played a little stint with the Lions and the Saints, Um, went to Central Michigan as a graduate assistant, worked with Coach Tapp there for a little bit, and listen, Corey Fuller, uh, he's a fuller man. He's got <laughs> he's got Kendall who made an interception to seal the game in the Super Bowl, you know, uh, five months ago. He's got Kyle, who's an all pro cornerback for the Chicago Bears. He's got Vinny Fuller, who had a very long NFL career and played on the same defenses as Coach Hamilton. And you know, those were some of the best defenses in Virginia Tech history. I mean, you want you want to learn about Virginia Tech, you learn from the Fullers. And then Coach Gavea Winslow coming in, played for Coach Beamer, played for Coach Foster, uh, you know, posted some good numbers. One of the better uh, defensive touchdowns we've ever seen in Hokie history was in the 2010 HC Championship. A little tip by Bruce Taylor, picked off by Gavea Winslow, takes it to the house. We beat Florida State in Charlotte. Last time we won an HC Championship, this man had a touchdown that day. And uh, he's – He's a Northern Virginia guy. He's been coaching at Stonebridge up there. He spent some time at the University of Hawaii uh, coaching there. His dad, Kurt Govea, two Super Bowl rings. Not with, bad. With the Washington NFL team. <laughs> and uh, Coach Govea Winslow, Jaron, has been on the staff at Brevard College, Brevard College, if I'm saying that right, uh, for about three years now. So, he was doing uh, assistant head coaching and special teams as well as safeties uh, coaching there. So two guys who are going to really enhance this recruiting staff. We talked about the lack of resources. We talked about the lack of hands that can help listen to that Yetzi episode. And then, you know, let's, uh, let's see where we are now, but this is a big deal that we got these two guys in the boat. This is a direct impact of hooky club funding and identifying a problem or something that could get better and making moves. And I'm, I'm happy about that because Pat Grayson and I, we all know how committed and how hard those fellas in the recruiting department work and don't get a a ton of, uh, a ton of recognition for it. And I do want to shout out Lino Lupinetti. Uh, We missed out on, uh, on, on McMillan, unfortunately went to Florida um, but even McMillan got one on the Twitter sphere and said, Hey, Lino Lupinetti, fantastic recruiter, uh, superstar in the, uh, in the business. And we just want to tip our cap to you. Uh, they're doing everything they can at the end of the day, you know, 17, 18 year old kids are going to choose where they want to go to school, more power to them, but they're working every single day. The more resources that we can provide and the more help that we can give will only help in the long run. So tip of my cap to the current staffers. A warm welcome to the new staffers and to the moon, baby, to the freaking moon. Speaking of the moon, uh, we had the preseason list come out. It stacks just about as high as to the moon. And since Oscar Bradburn punts the football over the moon, he was on the Ray Guy list award watch list, which I know our guy, Matei, I will cheers you a ruby red grapefruit nooner on that note because i know you are fired up about that another to the moon this is the last to the moon reference that i'll make but to the moon sons of gotta say me and pat were talking about this uh 
the scribes of Saturday group me uh, is, is popping off. Creative juices are flying. Uh, the hokey history is, is abundant. And our... Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, and the top 50 hokies list, full swing, full swing. And I got to say, you know, I like to consider myself knowing a good bit about Virginia Tech, but I have learned so much about different people uh, that have come to Virginia Tech or impacted Virginia Tech, and I encourage you to check that out. Um, I tweeted this the other day that sports is obviously at the nexus and the core and the reason that we started, but uh, there's so much that goes into Virginia Tech, um, whether it be teachers, whether it be you know former alumni or passersby or people that live in the community. And to be able to shine a uh, shine a light on those people and tell those stories has been uh, has been fantastic, and I really enjoyed it. And we've had some other great some other great articles as well. Uh, you know, did a little season preview action, a spring football preview, which at first I was, you know, there's no way this is going to happen. And then Sam Jesse's like, not so fast, my friend, quoting Lee Corso. And he goes, I'm going to put an article together and make you look dumb. And look dumb, I did. So um, shout out to Sam Jesse and the gang. They're doing a fantastic job. Pat, I know that you are uh, doing your introduction, uh, your introductory Entry coming up here soon. What are, what are we into, what are we introducing uh, Pat Finn the scribe with? Oh yeah, I got I got to throw my articles together here. I'm I've been writing it. It's in some drafts. We're trying to figure it figure it out here. But I got two articles down the uh, down the pipeline. Got one about the uh, the origination, the origins of the Suns. Kind of like the uh, the long drawn out article version of how we all came together, and then. Uh, I'm going to write a little piece on the 2016 season as well. That was that was actually my senior year at Tech and uh, a very special season uh, indeed. You know, one of my favorite seasons of all time. So excited to do that. But Bill, you were referencing to the moon and we still got we still got one more moon reference. Is there another one? Was, oh, man. was checking out the Twitter sphere today and saw some really cool pictures of some new facilities. Tell Dude. me what you saw. Dude, it's the house that coach Gentry built, but it is becoming the halls of Hilgart. We are getting a beautiful, beautiful new weight room. I've seen, uh, yeah, I remember back when I was still playing or around the program, they were like, Hey, we're going to get this new weight room. And they show you these blueprints. You're like, all right, man, like I'll come back and look at this when I'm 45. Nope. (laughs) It's ready. It's coming on down. It should be ready here in the near term. Got some great pictures tweeted out. We retweeted them today, but it looks fantastic. The halls of Hillgard look great. Uh, excited to see that uh, and get some content back in there. Pete Morris, we're waiting for some videos of Big Squad Friday. As much as I love seeing you do it in the cornfields of Wisconsin, I'm ready to see it in the halls of Hillgard. So we are looking forward to that. Um, before we press play on our boy Brett from Pick 6 Previews, last thing. And Brad will tell you this too. Newsletter. Sons of the newsletter. Sons of newslettery. Your boy wrote the newsletter last week. He worked very hard on it and is not going to blow up your inbox. That is a personal promise that I will make to you. I will not spam your inbox. When you hear, and it says Sons of Saturday, you know it is top tier content. You know it is coming about once a week. I'm not going to lock ourselves into once a week, but once a week is, is, is the goal here. Uh, so sign up for the newsletter. If you guys want, you can DM us your email and we can sign you up. Or you can go to sunsofsaturday.com, scroll all the way down, and sign up right there. Other than that, Pat, am I missing anything? That's it. 
Let's go. Let's go. Seattle Rip. City, New Jersey, baby. Sons and daughters, welcome back to your Sons of Saturday. Have a uh, have a very very special guest this evening. And fun fact, fun fact that we just discovered: we got three Jersey boys on the podcast. Mister Brett Shiancia from Pick Six Previews. Welcome to Sons of Saturday, Brett. How you doing, man? I know it's been a long day for you. Pick Six Previews Media Day. What's been going on for you in, yeah. in your world? Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk some Virginia Tech. Yeah, it's uh, it's been seven radio shows today. It's kind of been nonstop, but uh, hey, that's I'm loving every second of it. So I hunkered down from December till June writing this thing, this annual season preview book, uh, six months. And then once it hits the shelves uh, mid-June, it's straight radio and podcast season. So uh, 60 shows the last three weeks, seven today. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about it and ready to talk some more. Just talking season. Yeah, I was going to say, you tired, need some water. Who have you been uh, on with today? So I started out with Bill King. That's a national show. He used to have a Sirius XM show, uh, Bill King down in Nashville. Uh, Tex Ags, that's a big A&M site. Uh, did a CBS Sports out in Oregon, uh, Kentucky. Um, who else do we do? Yeah, it's, it's been a bunch. So as you, Oh, uh, uh, Bigger Ten, it's called. It's a Big Ten podcast uh, with Michigan Podcast. So, yeah, all over the place. I have a weekly spot on NBC Sports, too, uh, NBC Northwest. So it, it's it's – you know, uh, coast to coast, I cover all 66 Power 5 teams, so trying to connect with every fan base. So it's all over the country. That is awesome, and uh, I'm sure that's a, a very fun, exhausting, but a, a lot of fun, and I'm sure uh, hopefully we can wrap things up nicely here tonight. But uh, for those at home listening who uh, don't know about Brett and Pick 6 Previews, so Brett Chancha launched Pick 6 Previews in 2012. And he's been running these college football previews the last eight seasons. Uh, he was rated the most accurate in the nation by Stassen.com, who has been tracking prediction accuracy for decades in the college football space. Uh, his Twitter account, at Pick6Previews, has over 75,000 followers. And that's anything from, from D1 coaches to players, Heisman winners, the media, and fans like you and me. Uh, after the 2019 preview uh, last year, he was selected to be a Heisman voter, and he also uh, votes on the Blitnikoff, Outland, and Nagurski Trophy Awards. 2020 was his ninth Pick 6 Previews publication. Say that six times fast. Gave it a look today. Sons of statistics, if, if you are into the analytics, if you are into all type of analysis here uh, with statistics and formulas, Brett, he's, he's, he's writing the book on it. So, Brett's from Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, the mushroom capital of the world. And it's funny. Uh, it's real funny because, uh, you know, a couple months ago, my buddy Billy Donovan reached out to me. He says, hey, man, I know you got this podcast. You got to reach out to my friend Brett. Like, he's like, he wrote the book on college football. And I'm just like, Brett, Brett. And he's like, dude, pick six previews. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know pick six previews. And then, uh, you know, we exchanged some messages with Brett, but uh, any any comments on Billy Donovan? Yeah, Billy D is like a mythical creature, man. I love hanging out with him. He's 
Yeah, he's the life of the party. Uh, we've, we've been really close friends since kindergarten, actually, back in Unionville. So, uh, yeah, that was an incredible connection. That's one of those Twitter moments where you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, so, uh, yeah, shout out Billy D. Great family. Uh, you know, looking forward to seeing him uh, again soon. So, uh, so Brett, want to know, like, humble beginnings. Where did you get your start? You know, you're from Unionville, Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. You know, how did you get immersed in college football? You know, were you watching – football every Saturday with your dad? Did you have like an uncle who just had you glued to Penn State or Pitt football? Like wh- where did your allegiance start and, uh, you know, what got you hooked? Yeah, so, uh, you know, where I'm from, it's all Philadelphia Eagles talk all throughout the year. Um, and I like the Eagles too, uh, but really I'm a college football guy at heart. So, you know, there weren't many outlets there. I mean, I, I respect some of the national guys, um, you know, but they like to just cover Clemson, Alabama, the big teams, and, they, you know, they talk broadly. So I really wanted to dig into the details on all 65 of these programs. Uh, you know, with the NFL, you have 32 organizations. They're all pretty much the same, you know, except for the logo on the helmet. You really can't tell them apart. But with college, there's so much history there. There's so many unique offenses and defensive schemes. You got the recruiting angle of it, the, the, the regionality of it, the rivalries. I mean, it, it was just so much more appealing to me at a young age. And uh, I've just kind of, um, you know, continued to build a knowledge base up. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys, four screens on Saturdays in the fall from noon till two, two in the morning, waiting for the Pac-12 to finish up. So it's been an incredible passion of mine. Um, like you said, I launched in 2012. Twitter was a great form, too. It was kind of the perfect medium for me to get my stats and my, my data out. Uh, and as you guys know from running Sons of Saturday, I mean, college football fans are passionate. So when they like things uh, or when they don't like things, they're sharing it like crazy on Twitter. So it was a great way to, to grow organically there. And then, uh, like you said, last year, putting the 2019 book together, getting the Heisman credential was, uh, was the ultimate honor in college football media. So it's come a long way from the Twitter start back in 2012, but uh, it's a testament to the fans out there really spreading this and appreciating my work. And, um, you know, it's been great connecting with all kinds of fan bases. Yeah, going off that, like, it's been pretty impressive just seeing this account grow because I feel like I have – I feel like I've followed you from – either the very beginning or, you know, somewhere along the way, you know, pick six previews has kind of been a household name in the Twitter sphere. Um, what is kind of your ideal career path? You know, you have this publication, it's bursting at the seams, you know, you get this Heisman credential, you know, are you trying to kind of just get bigger and bigger? Do you have an ideal, like, you know, you're trying to be more, uh, you know, in TV or in radio, what are you trying to do? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I really like what I, what I do here covering all 65 programs. Uh, I'd like to get the sales up. So obviously you see other ones um, on newsstands. Uh, you know, that, that, that gives you access to every convenience store, every bookstore in the country. It's a, it's a different ballgame. So with me, it's a digital download purchase, uh, which is good in that there's no, uh, you know, there's no overhead. But, uh, you know, you lose access like to, to thousands and thousands like the other companies have. So, you know, maybe eventually looking to go into print uh, for the bigger reach. Uh, but in the meantime, just continue to build this, get on as many shows as possible, continue making connections in the, in the college football media world. Um, but yeah, ideally the, the book is great. Um, uh, you know, to, to be frank, I started testing out my game grader formula with gambling last year, just theoretically, uh, seeing how, how accurate my lines were compared to what Vegas puts out. And it was a 61% clip, you know, 53 is the break even. So there's a potential market there. I think the way that you know, college football gambling is becoming, or gambling in general, is becoming uh, legalized state by state now, it seems like. So there's some potential avenues down the road there. 
Um, but yeah, I'm just, uh, just trying to build it year over year. And like you said, since you started following, it's probably 2012 or 2013, uh, it, it's continued to advance. I hope tenfold uh, year after year. I think that, uh, back in 2012 was a shell of what it's become. It was a lot of, uh, list tweets and, you know, some basic, <laughs> basic, basic stuff, maybe the, the occasional troll. I love trolling Michigan fans. That, that'll never go away. Um, you know, the old Michigan men, that whole thing. But, uh, but no, so it's definitely evolved, and I think definitely for the better, a lot more complex, a lot more data-driven, um, but then putting it back into readable terms, too, uh, in the book. So try and strike a balance between numbers and the, and the football story of it. Absolutely. And, you know, at, at the top of the publication, you have a nice testimonial from Chris the Bear Felica, uh, who wrote, you know, an awesome testimonial, testimonial for you. Um, who do you look up to in the business? I'm sure you have a good connection with him. Um, who are some other folks that you've gotten to meet along the way that you really, uh, look up to and admire, uh, the way they do things? Yeah, for sure. So, um, it's interesting cause I don't really think of myself totally as a media guy. I'm more a football guy and a numbers guy. Uh, so right away, the perfect mesh really w- was the bear. I mean, he, the, the stuff he does with numbers and with stats and deep research, uh, he was a great testimonial. Uh, but probably the leader in the, in the industry has got to be Kirk Herbstreet. Uh, I've always admired his work, uh, you know, even as a kid watching on game day. Uh, I had the chance to meet him this year at Army-Navy. Um, I had a sideline pass credential. He was walking around uh, during halftime and everything and uh, stopped to talk. So, so backstory, I, I forwarded him the 2019 book last year, last summer. Uh, he had some good feedback then. But then to meet in person, I mean, he recognized the logo right away. It was pretty cool. Uh, we talked for, you know, five or six minutes. But uh, just a humble guy, you know, just you could tell the passions there. And I guess what I'm getting at is you want to – the people that you read and the people that you listen to on shows and on TV and, you know, in print, you want them to have the – you want them to match your passion level. You want them to care as much as you. Uh, I see in some media guys, especially during this virus, uh, I could tell that they're just – it's just a job to them. Uh, I want to be viewed as it's a passion and a job, you know, so with, with Herbie, you can tell he's passionate. I hope that with my interviews and through the book that pops off the page from, from me too, uh, because yeah, this is an absolute passion. So I, I'd say Herbie definitely. And then, uh, and then the bear for the numbers angle for sure. I think what you just said kind of hits, hits, hits perfectly at home because talking about this and covering this and obviously, you know, don't get it twisted. The amount of work and the amount of dedication it takes to be relevant in this space or have opinions that matter or um, not opinions that matter, but make good points. A lot of work goes into that, but it's fun at the end of the day, Pat Grayson and I, anytime we press record or we're talking about it at 10, 11 o'clock or whatever we're doing, it's, it's fun because you love doing it. And I think that's what makes doing this so special. Um, and, and on that note, obviously, congratulations on becoming a Heisman Trophy voter. I want to kind of understand what is that process like? Do they reach out to you? Do you apply? How does one become a Heisman Trophy voter? Yeah, good question, Billy. This is, this is one that comes up a lot. It's, it's pretty unique. So uh, the Heisman Trophy, it's broken into four or five regions nationally. So you have the far west, you have the southeast, the midwest, right? Uh, for me, mid-Atlantic. Uh, and then from there, it's broken down state by state. And each state, uh, they get allocated the amount of votes based on the FBS teams in the state. So for Pennsylvania, we had three. We got Penn State, Pitt, and Temple. Whatever, for, whatever formula they use, that's about 20 votes in PA, 20 ballots. Uh, and each state has a guy in charge, a media member that, that determines who votes or who has the votes within his state. Um, so long story short, after the 2019 book was released, um, I sent it around to some of the Pennsylvania writers. I didn't even know who was in charge. I didn't even know the process, to be honest. I was just sending it around to make some connections. Uh, I sent it to a guy 
uh, is actually in the front of my book with a testimonial, David Jones. Uh, now, he's a Penn State beat writer, uh, is former president of the FWAA, the Writers Association. Turns out he's from 10 minutes away from my house. Uh, he, uh, we, I, he's blown away by the book. He wants to meet up. So we go, we meet. Uh, we talk three, four hours nonstop about football, about current stuff, about old history. Um, you know, it was just, a, I, I viewed it as a great, per, you know, connection, football connection kind of thing. Um, and at the end of it, he, he goes, Hey, do you want to be a Heisman voter? And it just, uh, oh, it, just blew me, it just blew me out of the water. I had no idea what was happening. I mean, looking back, it was, you know, it was, it was a personal a friendship kind of thing too. But, um, the, 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 the point of it was almost an interview, you know, that's not, so, uh, it was like a football interview. Great talk. Great guy. Uh, he's, he's been helpful, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that shocked me. Uh, to take it a step further, most of the Heisman voters are beat writers or local, you know, writers that cover a certain program day in and day out. So say a Penn State writer or a Pitt writer who has been covering them for 30 years. So, and, and this is what Dave was telling me was that it's rare to have a national, a national guy, if you want to call me that, uh, with a ballot. But he thought it would bring, a, when, when, once he saw the level of detail that I put into each team, I mean, he was blown away and he thought it'd be actually uh, a benefit to the state to bring in a national voice and a national opinion, uh, into the PA electorate. So that was, uh, very humbling. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't expect going in that I walk away from that, you know, that, that happy hour with the Heisman vote, but, um, it was incredible. And that's just how it goes. So it's broken down state by state, region by region. And, uh, uh, one guy in charge of each state. So, uh, I'll tell you the last bit about the Heisman which is really cool is, um, uh, it used to be a paper ballot, but they went digital. Um, so what they email it over, they give you like three passwords. It's the most secure thing ever. Uh, finally, once you're about to log in, they call you to confirm your identity. It's, it's just crazy. It was like breaking into a, into a bank, but, um, yeah, really cool experience, you know, humbling the whole bit. I, and obviously I'm taking it very seriously. You see some of these voters, um, you know, they submit their ballot with multiple games left in the year. That's just laziness. I don't understand it. Uh, so, you know, uh, with all the film study and everything that goes into it, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm putting in my, my work for the ballot. So yeah, incredible moment there. Fantastic. And you did, you did allude to it. Uh, first and foremost, blown away by the incredible, incredible detail. Uh, when you first sent it over, I was, um, okay, I, I don't know what to expect. You know, you're going to break down all the teams. I'm expecting, you know, maybe a paragraph about Virginia tech and I hit control F do Virginia tech and there's. <laughs> 31 mentions of it in the whole thing and a great summary of not only from an analytical perspective, but also, you know, if you sent that to somebody, they would assume that you, and you probably have watched every game, know all the storylines, know everything that's going on. And it's very relevant. So uh, it's fantastic. And I encourage anybody um, that's, you know, stuck in the house, just wants to read about college football, do, do, do some deep dives, get some trends. I highly suggest you check it out. 18 bucks. Great deal. Um, and an incredible amount of knowledge. So definitely hats off to you. Um, but one of the things that we always have to do in this business is, uh, is we have takes or we have opinions and then people push back on the opinions. And one of the things that I did read into is your blue blood take. And I, and there are a couple of them that I wanted to just kind of hear how you came up with, with these programs as being blue bloods. Um, so Pat, I know you had a couple, uh, a couple on your list. Yeah. First one, I, I saw Washington on there, but I didn't see Oregon, but I do see Oregon on, uh, you know, in your prediction for the college football playoff this year. So curious, you know, what is your take for Washington as a blue blood over Oregon? Yeah, Pat, that, that's pretty funny. Uh, a backstory here with the blue blood thing. And I put that in quotes because 
everyone has their own definition of what a blue blood is. This mm-hmm. is one of those Twitter hot topics that over the, eight, the last eight years I've noticed really gets people going. Uh, so what I did was, hey, I put out about 20 polls, just yes or no, binary answer, yes or no. Is X program a blue blood to you? All right. So, uh, and I took the law of large numbers here, 120,000 voters. Uh, and hey, yes or no, is, is the program a blue blood? So you have the eight there. Uh, for reference, real quick, it's Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, USC, Michigan, Texas, Nebraska. Those are the eight that the consensus of 120,000 said yes. So, so wow. sorry, to get back to your, your Washington point, that's hilarious to me because that's what started this whole thing. That's what set me off so much was uh, one of these national guys. I can't even remember. It was probably some guy from The Athletic uh, tweeted at me <laughs> saying something about, hey, you know, how dare you not include Blue Blood Washington? And I was like, are you kidding me? Washington's wow. nowhere, near, <laughs> nowhere near the Blue Blood discussion. So that sent me off into a uh, Twitter poll annual now. So as you can see there, it's laughable. They got 6% of the vote. Uh, 6% of fans out there said yes for Washington. I'll bet you they're all That's located ludicrous. in Seattle. That is yeah. that is insane. I can't I can't believe that. Um, it, it's probably just Seattle, you know, uh, Western Washington people. So uh, outside be. of that, I mean, that is by far the lowest total out of all the twenty that I pulled. Okay. Um, so that gotcha. yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because that's what started this whole thing. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're a distant and last there. So I didn't even consider putting Oregon. I'm going to put it. Great, yeah, great program. But when I heard this guy defending them as a blue blood, that's when it's time to get, take the Twitter, as you guys do. Um, anyway, yeah, it's it's a fun thing. I like to include that every year and then track year over year if there's any gains or, or decreases. Like uh, you see, LSU went up five percent this year. It's all random, yeah. but uh, it's, it's just one of those topics. You guys mm-hmm. know them within Virginia Tech media, probably the certain topics that get fans going. That this is one of them nationally. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And then, then in terms of more, you know, relevant stuff for Virginia Tech here. So I hate to say this, but it's the truth. The ACC is on a crash collision course. And thank goodness for Clemson for keeping us from becoming the Pac-12. Um, the conference as a whole has been down. The quote unquote blue bloods of Florida State, of uh, Miami, and even Virginia Tech as of late have been down. What do you think contributed to this downturn of this conference over the last few years? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I think a couple failed coaching hires first off. I mean, look at what happened with Florida State. Uh, now, granted, Jimbo Fisher's last season was also a decline, but the, the, the Willie Taggart hire really set them back some ways. Uh, and what that did was it opened up the state of Florida itself to recruiting. Uh, you know, you look back at the early 2000s or mid-2000s, Florida as a state, the big three, you know, Miami, FSU, and Florida, they were locking in about 90% of the, of the top 20 Florida prospects each year. That has dropped significantly. I think it's something like 30%. Uh, and, and who's the beneficiaries of that? It's the SEC regional powers. It's Clemson coming in. Uh, they, and even Ohio State on the national scale is able to recruit Florida. So the recruiting tide has kind of flipped out of Florida a bit. That's hurt Florida State. That's, hit my, that's hurt Miami. Um, but, yeah, before we go into the more negative, I'm actually really excited about the ACC because I see a lot of potential in these coaching hires that were made one, two, three years ago. Uh, you look already what Mac Brown's doing in his second season. Um, you know, I love the, the Jeff Collins hire down at Georgia Tech. This is another sleeping giant. Uh, well, maybe not giant, but a former national champion program. Uh, you know, they were kind of uh, the, the, the triple option. It was, it, was, it was good enough for seven or eight wins a year, but it was hard to recruit to. It was never going to compete for a conference title. So, I think by him rebranding them as almost Atlanta Tech, you know, getting all that local talent in there is huge. Uh, look at what Brocko Mendenhall did, even at, at a struggling program like UVA. 
I hate to bring that up on this show, but uh, hey, he, he brought UV, yeah, he brought UVA into the into the coastal discussion and even won the damn thing. So uh, great hires across the way. Uh, one last one, Pat Narduzzi. You know, last preseason I was saying maybe potential hot seat because when you hire a guy like that, you're doing it. it it's a it's a coordinator hire. I mean, he was great as a defensive coordinator. You want to bring him in as a guru and really lock down that one half of the field or one side of the ball. But it wasn't happening the first four years. Finally, in year five, it clicked, and it was a top ten unit. So I'm starting to think positively now with Pitt. Uh, and then one last one real quick was uh, Jeff Halfley. I, I had a chance to speak with him in the preseason on the phone. Uh, he's so passionate about Boston College. You can just tell uh, he has some Northeast roots as well and um, you know, wants to really sell them as uh, – you know, being proximity with Boston, a great up-and-coming city, you know, a huge tech city. Um, also, their Catholic affiliation, it's only them and Notre Dame, uh, their business school. I mean, you, it was just – he was selling me through the phone, you know. So, I, I love the hires across the conference, and I think it's, uh, it's up for – it's ready for an upspin across the, the conference. It's going to trend in the, in, the, in the right direction. Yeah, and then and looking at Virginia Tech itself, and before we dive into your evaluation of them, I was just curious how you approached before writing anything. Virginia Tech, and, and there are a lot of teams that are like this, was very hard to kind of pin down from an analytical perspective due to the quarterback change in the middle of the year, the up and downs of the season, uh, games that you know could have gone differently. You lose to Notre Dame on the last, essentially the last play of the game. You lose to Kentucky on essentially the last play of the game. How do you evaluate a season uh, from an analytical perspective and just kind of how things bounce or just the change of tide from a position change or anything like that. Yeah, Virginia Tech's actually a perfect case study for this. Uh, a couple years ago, I designed my game grader formula. Um, you know, not to bore the audience, but it's a lot of different things. It's scoring differential, yardage differential, yardage per play, uh, you know, turnovers, uh, different efficiency and explosiveness stats. But, you know, that sounds like a word salad, but basically it's a statistical measure of how dominant a team is. Uh, a close loss is, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world it, analytically if you're losing a one-pointer to Notre Dame. Um, so it was a way for me to, to put it into context of team season because not all seven-win seasons are equal. Uh, you have different schedules. You might have had a, a tough non-conference. You might have had seven blowout wins, seven one-score wins, right? So anyway, long story short, um, a lot of metrics to look at. The one that really stuck out with Virginia Tech was what I run the first half of the season to the second half of the season, you know, the midpoint. Uh, the improvement over the year. They were the fourth most improved team in season uh, when you compare that first half to the second half. And that's no coincidence, the timing of how that aligns with the quarterback change, bringing in Hendon Hooker. Um, you know, without him, they were uh, number 56 out of 66 in the Power Five. With him, number 20. So uh, I like to look at trends like that, not just the whole season, but within the season, uh, especially with it coming in the second half of the year. That's, that's a positive boost of momentum heading into 2020 in my eyes. So uh, a lot of things considered, a lot of stats, a lot are, you know, public stats. Some are, are stuff I've designed myself. I have other coordinator grades, uh, you know, per play metrics, the whole bit. And, and not to really be too daunting for the listener because I put it back into very readable terms. The analytics are there on the left side of the page, right? But then I put them back into what that really means, what it's telling us, um, and make it, uh, make it readable. And there, are the, and there are three teams here, or four teams listed ahead of Virginia Tech in the preview. Um, that we're going to focus on one, but the teams listed ahead are Clemson, that you have rated number one in the country, uh, UNC, which is 14, Miami, 21, and Louisville, 24. Uh, Pat, talk to us a little bit about North Carolina here. So, Brett, we know you're very high on North Carolina. I know that 
you know, they're your pick to win the Coastal this year. I mean, they're returning Sam Howell, who's, you know, you can make an argument the best quarterback uh, in the country. Chaz Surratt, Storm Duck, Bo Corrales, Daz Newsome, Michael Carter. Do you think this Carolina team, you know, could could be a playoff contender? I know you like them to win the Coastal, but do you think they are good enough to contend for the college football playoff? Well, that, that's tough. It, it, for North Carolina, it would basically come down to if they can get past Clemson. Uh, I don't see it happening now. To their credit, they were a play away last year. They had them in a two-point conversion situation to, to knock off Clemson. Uh, a couple of things with UNC that I really like. Um, it's the second year uh, within this system, this Phil Longo system. Another, another coordinator I was able to talk to in the preseason. Super complex scheme, uh, but he's, 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 he installed it basically overnight with a true freshman in Sam Howell. Uh, they got a great re- receiver core coming back, running back stable like you hit on. Um, but I'm looking for a major, major jump here in year two, uh, not just from the true freshman quarterback, from the offense as a whole. I love the hire of Jay Bateman defensively. And then when you look at their games individually last year, seven or uh, six losses all by one score. So you know my game grader formula loves that. I, I had him 22nd last year in the country. Uh, you tend to see a lot of those close losses start to revert to the mean, and I think they're going to get the benefit of the, some of those – close losses reverting to wins this year. So uh, I look for major gains from UNC. Uh, they're going to be able to install more of that offense. Like I mentioned, it was super complex. Uh, Longo on the phone was telling me that, you know, I know they're, they're virtual this year with Zooms and such in spring, but he had all 22 film. And this might be a common practice, but I actually hadn't heard it pitched this way. But they were looking at NFL all 22 film on basically any possible uh, scheme that could be thrown at their system. Uh, doing this with, with Sam Howell. And uh, the guy's going to come in so much more mentally prepared than he was as a true freshman, you know, coming in, uh, in, in the fall with no, no college experience. So I look for a huge boost mentally. They're going to let him run the ball a bit more. They kind of had the handcuffs on the quarterback run game a bit. You're going to see more of that. So I'm just really excited about UNC. Not even to mention what's happening off the field, but that's a, that's a talk for a different day with recruiting. Um, just incredible stuff by, by Mac Brown so far. It's exciting. Um, I think, you know, a lot of, everybody's talking about UNC. They're the hot pick right now. Um, but, again, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it does pan out this year moving forward. But kind of want to get your insight into Virginia Tech as a whole uh, with Coach Fuente entering this season. Um, a lot of talent on the roster, and we haven't really mentioned it, but who's to know what the season's going to be? But putting that aside, what is your expectation for Virginia Tech, and what do you think uh, they should be looking to accomplish this season? Yeah, so I think this is a pretty pivotal year here for, for Justin Fuente. I put this in the book where uh, with Bud Foster finally retiring, uh, it's almost like it's finally, finally the, the real Fuente era because, I mean, with Foster, it still had all those ties to the Beamer era, uh, obviously positive, I'm saying, but, but now it's really Fuente's program. He's starting to have multiple coordinator hires here. Uh, you're going to be able to grade him that way, uh, but, but more so offensively, right, because Fuente's an offensive guy. Uh, you want to see finally a quarterback hit. And it looks like Hooker could be that guy. Um, you know, coming into last year was supposed to be the first quarterback Fuentes had a second year with, with Ryan Willis. Uh, now, I think that this is really the, the true test because now he's got a full offseason with Hooker. Uh, he's able to unlock some of that quarterback run game that he used to have, that he used to run back in TCU way back in 2009, those teams. So I think you're seeing a more complete quarterback spot. More so, too, you have the offensive line now becoming a strength. It might have been down. Uh, I don't even want to say it was down. It was just it hasn't been a, a super strength, and now it's becoming that. Um, and uh, that, that's got to be exciting for Virginia Tech. Multiple guys made my all-ACC uh, offensive line. Uh, you know, Christian Darasol, Lucita Smith, uh, all getting all-ACC honors there. So 
not to mention Brock Hoffman. We've been waiting for him to get in after the NCAA would block that. But, uh, yeah, so, so offensive line looking like a super strength here. Um, you know, and then you have the, the skill positions. There was some changeover at receiver. Uh, I like the two transfer running backs that got in. It looked like that, that might have been a, a, a tough roster spot, but that's looking strong. So, yeah, the pieces are here. So if you're, if you're a Virginia Tech fan trying to grade this, this Fuente era, I think a lot of it comes onto this year, this year five, because you know this, the, the, the coordinators are pretty much installed by him. Uh, he's finally found his quarterback, uh, offensive line, a strength, huge strength. And um, I think this, this is a great year to grade him uh, because if you can't get it done, if you can't crack the top 25 or, you know, get some, get some key milestone wins, uh, that'd, be, that'd be tough. That'd be a tough thing to deal with. Let's just basically say no more Duke performances like we saw last September, right? I mean, you, you can't afford a national meltdown, um, nor, nor do I think that'll happen. I don't think that'll happen, but uh, I think it's a pretty big swing year for him. Yeah, we actually uh, just – Breaking news, official news today, Fuente added two more uh, members of the recruiting staff, Corey Fuller, who played wide receiver, uh, one of the four Fuller brothers, and then Jaron Guveo Winslow, uh, who played linebacker for Tech uh, as well. But you mentioned the coordinators and how this staff is finally coming together. It's finally Justin's, you know, complete uh, reign here. And Justin Hamilton, another Justin. Mike Barber, who covers a Virginia Tech beat as well as a UVA beat, uh, wrote a fantastic article about Justin Hamilton today uh, about his football mind, how he got jobs at UVA Wise and then VMI, gets to Virginia Tech as a director of like player personnel and development, and then all of a sudden, you know, within two years, he's a defensive coordinator. What are your thoughts, you know, from a uh, from more of a national perspective here, Brett? Justin Hamilton coming up the ranks so fast and you know, replacing Bud Foster, a legend at the defensive coordinator position. Yeah. From a national view, whenever you think Virginia tech, I mean, you think of the Bud Foster defense, you think of the lunch bail D um, you know, I actually had a chance to be, to be down there for a game back in 2009, Virginia tech versus Nebraska. Uh, that was the, the Indomitian Sioux game, but it was also the Tyrod Taylor game at the end there. Um, you know, so, good so anyway, yeah, 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 absolutely. It was electric. What I was getting at really was, was the, you think of the fan atmosphere, you think of the passion there, you think of Enter Sandman, right? So, so Bud Foster himself was one of those you know, program mantras that you just think of, like, uh, that's Virginia Tech. So, and, and it wasn't just smoke and mirrors, too. This was some of the best defenses over a long span. Uh, I know since 2000, they were top five in NFL draft picks uh, at defensive back. I mean, it's, it, you have the argument for DBU over the last 20 years. So, and this is from a program that rarely signed a top 25 class on signing day. It shows you how great they were at player development, especially defensively. So that's one of the trademarks of the program, I'd say, from a national view. Now, with, with Justin Hamilton taking over, uh, from what I've gathered from researching, is he wants to keep a lot of that, uh, a lot of those, you know, points of the defense together. He wants to keep the aggressive mindset, the blitzes, uh, pressure coming from all over the field. You know, putting his corners uh, out on an island because they're trusted and they've always been great cover corner, corners out there. Um, so I like, I like what I've read about him wanting to continue a lot of what's uh, made this defense run for the last 25 seasons. So that, that sounds all great to me on paper. I want to, of course, come see it. Uh, there's a lot of personnel to like on defense, so I, I think he's got some star power and some experience here. Uh, they're top five in returning production on defense nationally. So uh, almost every position's back. Uh, and, and with depth and with talent too. So this is great. I think it's a great transition year. And, um, you know, to keep it internally, when, um, 
when Justin Fuente made the, the, the call to, to keep it internal, uh, of course, he didn't predict the pandemic. Looking back, that has a lot of value now because there is that, that staff continuity that some of these programs are having to, to learn a new, you know, learn a new co- coach or a new coordinator or a new program uh, with no offseason, no spring ball, no, no summer. So a lot of positives there. And uh, I think you're going to continue to see that, uh, you know, put, put his own stamp on the program, but, but continue to keep a lot of those traditions. That's fantastic. And, and in terms of the Virginia Tech moving forward here, and obviously you've shown, you're talking about every program, you have incredible knowledge about Virginia Tech in general. Uh, Josh Parcell, a friend of the podcast, has given us Wisconsin as a great kind of barometer blueprint for, for success. Iowa is another one. Um, we're not like Miami. We're not like USC. Um, we're located in Southwest Virginia. When you look at Virginia Tech, who has competed for a national championship before, what do you think that blueprint is? Who do you draw it as a liked to, and how can we get there? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, so right away, when I think of Wisconsin and Iowa, kind of the the trademarks that they've done is a you know huge walk on program from uh, a kind of a, a recruiting base, uh, kind of a tough place to recruit, you know, geographically. Uh, they did it with walk-ons. They did it with strength and conditioning. They did it with a very specific offensive identity, a power run game. Um, and they've really mastered the formula of how to get to nine wins or ten wins. Um, I don't really see that from Virginia Tech, uh, and that's not a, a knock on them. I think that there's a higher ceiling with Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't think that Iowa's ever going to con- contend for a national title. Now, you probably won't see Iowa go five and seven either. They're going to be in that seven to nine win range. With Virginia Tech, I think there's a higher ceiling. Um, geographically, yeah, I know they're, they're kind of in Southwest, uh, Virginia, they're pretty rural, almost in Tennessee. That's not the worst thing. You're still in the Southeast. Uh, you're still, Virginia's a solid recruiting bed, uh, recruiting hotbed. Um, even North Carolina, a border state, you see what's, uh, what's happening with Mac Brown. If someone's able to contain that talent, I know it's in state for UNC, but even if you're able to, to poke into some of that talent, it's becoming a, a serious contender for one of the top high school states. So I think there's better, uh, better recruiting angles at Virginia tech, better recruiting potential than you would get at Wisconsin and with Iowa. So I think there's a better, uh, better talent pool to play with. Um, you know, it's tough too, because you have Clemson, a superpower. What I was about to just say is that, uh, Wisconsin and Iowa have to deal with Ohio state every year in, in the conference title. But then I caught my tongue because you guys have to face Clemson. So it's really tough to, to think of it on, an, on a playoff scale when you're stuck with a dynasty. Uh, you know, these things ebb and flow, as we talked about at the top of the Blue Blood label. I mean, these things come and go. I mean, eventually, we could be talking five years from now and Clemson is not a playoff contender, right? So, I don't know. A, a long story short, I, don't, I wouldn't call them Wisconsin-Iowa because, to me, uh, that kind of puts a cap on it. I think Virginia Tech can contend for conference titles, uh, can break down that 8-9 win barrier. They did it with, with Beamer. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be doing it now with even more funds and more recruiting power than they did back in the original Big East. Uh, you know, all the TV money coming in now is pouring in. It's going to give you better staff, um, you know, better recruiting opportunities, better facilities, better exposure. So long story short, I think there's a higher ceiling there. I'm excited about your answer. I also encourage people to join the Hokie Club so that we can uh, build bigger facilities and continue to move in the right direction. And before Pat gets into recruiting, we got to get you back down to Blacksburg since 2009. I mean, it's been over a decade. You got to come back up, see a game. Penn State would have been a great weekend this year, but uh, got a great schedule coming up in the future. We got to get you back soon. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been all over the country, you know, uh, up to Madison, Wisconsin, Lincoln, Nebraska, Clemson, Virginia Tech. That's right up there. I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, it's hard to get the, the goosebumps, but uh, enter Sam and that really did it. And then I'll never forget how loud that stadium was, uh, because if you remember that game specifically, Virginia Tech was really held in check. Both offenses were, for that matter. It was really, a, you know, a, a fist fight until that second to last play, the Danny Cole, probably 85 yards down the left sideline there. Uh, that stadium just erupted like I'd never heard before. So uh, it's almost like 59 minutes of energy was boiled up and just, you know, and, uh, and, and the kettle boiled over on that one play. It was pretty incredible. Uh, not to mention Tyrod's scramble to win it. But absolutely would love to come down there. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pass on 2020 because I want to get the full effect and get some fans in the stands. But, uh, yeah, coming down the road, that's on the short list. Oh, man, such a great game. Roy Hallou Jr., Zach Lee, Bo Pelini throws his headset, uh, <laughs> Dominican Sue, Prince Amukamara. I mean, that was, yep. that was, there was a lot, a lot of talent on that field. Um, but speaking of talent, the 2021 class, uh, Brett, we had exchanged some, some Twitter messages, you know, earlier in May, right around when Demetrius Davis decommitted from tech. And you had mentioned that the commitment carousel, you know, would really start to take place uh, in November, in December. That was two months ago in May. Brett, what, what are we thinking now with this commitment carousel with the 2021 class? Um, what, what are your thoughts on what's going to unfold over the next few months here? Yeah, so as we sit here in, in mid-July, uh, I see Virginia Tech's down around 48th, uh, top 50 recruiting class, uh, 15 commits. I think that right now, more than ever, you can almost throw these rankings out the, out the window here in mid-July 2020. Um, yeah, yeah. Me and Pat were messaging about this. Um, it, it's a weird environment this year because there's more commits than there were at this time last cycle. You know, more, more players are quote unquote committed, but, and it's not their fault, but none of them have really been on campus or have, have met some of these coaches in person. They, you know, there's been so many coach and coordinator changes. They haven't probably met their coordinators in person, haven't met a lot of the teammates on campus. There's been a lack of official visits. So you know, and it's not a knock on the kids. They're doing what they can to secure a, a spot at these schools. I think once things open up a bit, and it might be a while, maybe there's even a delay, you know, that they put, push back the signing day a bit to allow these kids to visit. But once these kids really do their visits and make their due diligence and make the rounds, I think you're going to see a, a decommitment carousel like never before. Uh, again, not knocking the kids. It's not their fault. Um, but I just think that you're going to see, uh, a, a, you know, a free agency almost like a carousel. Um, of decommitments and, and re- recommitments too. So, um, yeah, I think if you're into the recruiting angle of college football, there, you know, it, some people love it, some people aren't really interested. But uh, for those that love it, man, this is about to be your most exciting season ever because it's going to be crazy watching these commitments, you know, flying around and, and getting kids switching schools. So, um, yeah, so if you're Virginia Tech, don't get too down about that ranking right now. Uh, this thing's going to be uh, just a circus come, uh, come November, December. Yeah, and going off that, Brett, you know, we're ranked 48th right now. Just got a commitment today from Malachi Thomas, who is actually unranked. But you turn on the kid's film, and you're like, this guy is an incredible running back prospect. What are your thoughts on every recruit in the 2021 class's, you know, star ranking, their 24-7 composite ranking? How How much legitimacy is in these rankings at this point when they haven't been able to go to camps, they haven't been able to be evaluated? Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Ah, uh, so right now, as it stands for 2021, uh, so we have their junior tapes. Like, that would, that would be in the rankings. 
I guess the thing that you're missing out on, like you said, is some of that spring and summer circuit. So maybe some of the combines like the opening or uh, some of these seven on seven circuits. So maybe that is missing for the most part. See if these kids are actually six, four or actually six. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny actually with pick six previews, we used to run some, uh, some official combines up in Pennsylvania uh, in Delaware and New Jersey. And we used to, you know, have the laser technology because it's important. You, 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 everyone on, everyone on huddle and on Twitter says they run four fours. You got them in front of the actual Zybeck lasers that the NFL uses. Like we were bringing, uh, you know, it humbles you up pretty quick. The laser doesn't lie. So I think there's a lot of value in, uh, in, in laser testing, uh, for real metrics to, to compare with, but, uh, not to get sidetracked on that, but, um, I think that, uh, yeah. So my thing on recruiting is can the services miss on a prospect here and there? Yes, I think that happens all the time. It's, it's an impossible science. But I think in aggregate, when you're talking 20, 25 commits in a class or you know, start to stack three, four, five classes in a row with 85 commits, I think they're more right than wrong. Um, it's it's going to be a tough process to evaluate the 20, let me get this right, the 2022 class because now we're going to miss potentially the whole junior season if some of these states don't play. Uh, that's the key year for some of these recruiting sites to get that junior film uh, and see them as juniors. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting, and uh, you're going to see maybe some more variance than ever amongst the sites uh, disagreeing on certain rankings. It'll be very interesting. So, uh, Brett, we're going to roll into a little bit rapid fire here, presented by Dr. John Cranham at the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. You are in the Chesapeake area. If you're in Richmond, around the uh, 757, even if you're in the Outer Banks, you want to go up, get a teeth cleaning, get reconstructive surgery of the jaw, you know, anything from uh, getting your teeth whitened to, you know, maybe a root canal. John Cranham, Dr. John Cran, Dr. Caitlin Cran, the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. Roll in there, say Sons of Saturday. They'll give you 15, sorry, not 15, 50 Five zero percent off teeth bleaching. Sons of smiling. All right. So Brett, we're going to do a uh, rapid fire here. So we're going to do like favorites. So favorite coach that you've interviewed. I'd say, uh, I'd say Jeff Halfley. I touched on it earlier in the show, the guy's passion for Boston college. And you can just tell his passion for, uh, for the student athletes is, is overflowing. So I go Halfley. Secondly, Morgan Scally, a defensive coordinator at Utah loves, loves coaching defense. Great schematically. So I'll go with those two. Second part to the question. Uh, who are the, your favorite bright young minds that you've had the opportunity to talk to that you think might be diamond in the rough coaches uh, that have, you know, a very um, big career ahead of them? Yeah. Uh, you know, a young guy I talked to, or I guess relatively young, Graham Harrell, USC, their offensive coordinator. Uh, it seems like yesterday we were watching him as a quarterback at Texas Tech and uh, Mike Leach's offense. But uh, yeah, he's an up and coming coach. He's running that same system out at USC. Uh, you know, great offensive mind. I'd say Graham Harrell. And then you mentioned Blacksburg as a top experience. What are the top three atmospheres that you've experienced in college football, whether it was a bowl game, a, uh, a tailgating or just stadium atmosphere? What are the top three? All right. So tailgating, the best tailgating atmosphere. So I'm, I'm old school. I like the actual, you know, van with the TV and the food and a big field, you know, some schools oh, yeah. do tailgating in bars, and that doesn't really mean tailgating to me. Nope. So the best tailgate to me was at Penn State. They have this one huge field kind of on the side yeah. of a mountain, and it's all these RVs, and they do it right. So best tailgate, Penn State. Uh, best, I'd say, just football town and stadium atmosphere has to be Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, it was incredible out there, just the passion they have. 
And I was seeing it in a down year. I was there 2018, a four-win season. I can't even imagine if that thing gets rolling again. Uh, I mean, they're talking about a fan base that's sold out every single game since 1962. Uh, they love it out there. That's everything. That's, that's their – you know, they don't have pro sports. That's everything. So I'd say that for best stadium atmosphere and best campus town. Best – I mean, I don't know what category you throw at this, but for number three, I got to say Army-Navy. Uh, it's just almost, it almost just transcends football. And I would recommend every listener on here try and get to an Army Navy game at least once. It's usually in our area. If you're, if you're from the East coast, it's, you know, rotates between Philadelphia, uh, Boston and DC, I believe, or Baltimore. Um, it's incredible. I mean, like I said, it transcends football, uh, certain things in between the games. If you're watching on TV, they have commercial breaks, but they always have these, uh, spirit spots where they're sending in videos from, uh, the troops abroad. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just incredible. So get to that if you can. Uh, that, that gets all the credentials in the world from me. We'll have to go uh, next year. My brother is going to be uh, playing his final game for Navy at MetLife Stadium right up the road. So oh. I will see you at the Army-Navy game if you – there are no other games, so I'll see you at Army-Navy next year for playing ball. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, it, so you've definitely been to one then. You understand. I mean, it's, Unbelievable. it's incredible. Yeah. No, it doesn't get better than that. Mm-hmm. So Army Navy is next on my bucket list. Brett, what is next on your bucket list? Maybe a couple uh, wish list games that you haven't been to or stadiums that you want to see. Yeah, so uh, it's a shame with the cancellations. I actually had it all booked and everything. I was going to head down to Florida LSU. This year it's in the swamp. Uh, I want to see a game in Florida. I want to get more uh, SEC trips, really, is, is what my goal is, because I've been to a lot of the Big Ten, uh, some ACC. I did some West Coast Pac-12 and and, and hey, if you're going to the Pac-12 for a football game, save your money. It's not worth it. <laughs> the USC, I did, a, I did two days in a row. I did a Friday night and a Saturday at uh, Rose Bowl and Coliseum, the UCLA and USC games. I mean, they, they were half empty. Nobody cared. It was, it was kind of sad. So uh, nice weather. But it wasn't a great college football environment. So I'd say SEC. I notice I'm not going rapid fire. I'm, I'm really bad at this segment. but uh, it's, be- it's usually better this way. Yeah. Uh, I would say on Bright Young Minds at SEC, keep your eye on Coach Chris Partridge, co-defense coordinator at Ole Miss and former high school head coach. So shout out to Coach Partridge over at Ole Miss. What about uh, what's the strongest conference in the college football ranks right now? Yeah, I got to go chalk here. It is the SEC. I mean, you see it on signing day. You see it on the NFL draft day. You see it in, in intra-conference games, non-conference games. Um, yeah, I mean, the SEC, they have multiple playoff contenders and most barely have one. So right now I got to go SEC. No question. Uh, are you a BCS guy, a four-team guy, an 18 playoff? I, gotta lie, I, I can't lie to you. I do kind of miss the BCS uh, where all the bowl games mattered, but curious as to hear what you think. Billy, I love it. I love the take. Uh, you know, I, Thank I you. Thought I, was, I thought I was alone out here as a BCS guy. Um, you know what? Because, and even if it's two or four, I'll give you four, but I don't want to take away from, from the glory of a college football national title. It's a unique sport. It's a unique sport. You got to, you know, we, we reward almost perfection, if not perfection in the sport. So, um, yeah, I don't want to water that down. I don't want to take away from the 13 fall Saturdays we get because we get basically 13, you know, uh, holidays, if you will. Yep. Um, it would take away from that. It already has a little bit, like you said, bowl season's almost gone. So mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a two teamer. If you got to go four, fine, keep it at four. I actually do like the, the, uh, the formula aspect of it. Cause you know, not to be cynical, but I don't know what goes on with the committee discussions or if they're as in tune as some of us that follow the game. So I'd almost rather it. take it out of the human element and go, go formula, but that's coming from a numbers guy. I've got ripped for that take. I think it is devalued games. You watch the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl wasn't even sold out this year, and you have Blue Blood programs in it. You got kids sitting out because 
Um, no, I, I, I am with you on that. I stamp that. I stamp that wholeheartedly. Um, growing up, a big part of uh, loving college football is watching highlight videos on YouTube. Harris highlights. Do you have a favorite highlight film from yesteryear or a uh, college football player's highlight film you used to watch? I have mine. I'm interested to hear yours. Yeah, um, I will say. All right, so so kind of the play and the and the player that got me hooked on the college football was probably Eric Crouch. Uh, this is a, an option quarterback at Nebraska, 2001 Heisman winner. Uh, just the way that he, you know, because as a young kid, you're learning the game. You think a quarterback as the passer. But here I have this guy. He's the best athlete on the field. He's running all over these teams. Uh, the one play that stands out is the, the trick play, this reverse pass that they ran against Oklahoma. One versus two. Uh, he actually catches a pass. Uh, anyways, I would say Eric Crouch. It's an incredible highlight tape. I'd have to go with Tavon Austin, and I did love some uh, Jeremiah Masoli if we're going a little bit back uh, further in time. But and a great pick. A great pick. Tavon Austin and Noel Devine, two from West Virginia, were both just all-time highlight reels. I agree with you on that. Absolutely. So uh, last segment here, we're going to get into the quarantine edition, rapid fire. We'll try to keep it rapid. We'll see what happens. Brought to you by Sharky's Blacksburg. Brett, I doubt you've been to Sharky's. If you were in uh, Blacksburg 11 years ago for that game, uh, probably weren't of age to enjoy (laughs) a beverage where good friends go. But uh, we'll kick it off with Sons of Snacks. What have you been snacking on in quarantine? Yeah, I'm a cookies guy. I mean, that's, that's the that's the chief food, I guess. So, uh, you know, Oreos and Chips Ahoy, something like that, cookies. Were you following with the Barstool Dugs, uh, you know, coaching, carousel? Have you been playing any NCAA 14 as well in quarantine? Yeah, well, well, Pat, I got to be honest, I'm probably going to be the most boring quarantine edition because my whole quarantine, I was pretty much locked in doing this book. Uh, it's insane. I mean, I was just putting in these insane hours doing it. Uh, I, I loosely followed the Doug's uh, stuff. I mean, I saw that it was all over Twitter. It was actually amazing seeing that. I got to give the guy credit. I mean, it, I imagine having 100,000 people watching you play a video game. I mean, he really, uh, he really owned the quarantine media space, that's for sure. Um, but no, I wasn't really able to follow much of that. So we'll see if you were able to do this because you were hunkering it down. But uh, do you ever watch any old games or have any guilty pleasures? You know, you throw on the 2005 Rose Bowl. You throw on, you know, any any old games of yesteryear, as Billy was saying? Yeah, so uh, right around national, t- uh, national championship time in January, I like to look back at some of those old ones. The one that really pops out is 2002 Ohio State-Miami. Uh, I guess it was technically the 03 Fiesta Bowl, but that national title. Uh, just every interference? yard. Was that the pass interference game? Yeah, the 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 pi. Um, and I hate to even uh, limit it to that because every single play was a freaking battle. I mean, every yard was a war. Uh, a lot of star power, both sides. Um, and then you just had the ultimate underdog, Ohio State. It was just—it's funny to say now, but at the time, the ultimate underdog against you know, the evil empire of Miami. Um, yeah, and then not to mention the overtimes, the controversial call there, the pi. But hey, controversy—it's. It, it, within the fabric of college football itself. So it's almost a perfect uh, game to represent it. Last question that I have for you. Um, we know no one knows, and I, and I laugh when people ask me like I know. Um, but what do you think is going to happen this fall? Um, what do you think? What, what is the outlook? Yeah, so I've been trying to avoid uh, you know, definitive answers. It, it's funny seeing a lot of these college football media guys, uh, you know, talking in, in definitives like they know this stuff or like they have any say in, <laughs> in the discussions. Um, I shy away from the definitive. 
I would, I know I just remain optimistic. Uh, I'm a numbers guy. I want to keep getting more data as we get it. Cause this thing evolves day to day, week to week. Um, yeah. I like what the SEC has done about saying how we're going to wait as long as physically possible to make a decision because again, two weeks from now it could be completely different. Um, so keep it optimistic. If there's a safe and feasible way for the, for the student athletes, the coaches to get it done, I say, we got to do it. Um, and not just for the players, because it's incredible the amount of time and effort that these guys have dedicated. Uh, I want to get them their fair share of games and experience, but also even the small towns, the campus towns. I mean, I, I assume Blacksburg is in that category where uh, these local economies really rely on these seven fall Saturdays. I mean, it's huge to the town, it's huge to the alumni uh, and to the, all the local businesses. So for everyone involved, let's make a, the most complete answer possible. Uh, leave politics out of it for, for gosh sake. Uh, and let's just uh, let's find a safe and feasible way to get it done. Couldn't have said it any better myself. I do want to give you a, a huge thank you for your time this afternoon and just want to ask you, uh, where can our listeners find you and where can we get this season preview? Yeah, so thanks again for having me on and uh, looking forward to collaborating with you guys in the future. And congrats on your new site and the newsletter. I'm already a subscriber. I, I encourage everyone to go subscribe. Uh, for me, it's at Pick6Previews on Twitter pick6previews.com on the web. Uh, and on there, I have a couple sample pages. I know it's a newer product, but uh, a couple samples so you can see the level of detail I go into on all 66 programs, uh, the testimonials. And lastly, also, uh, to get back to the Hokie base here, just type in Hokies at checkout for a nice dis discount code on the book, on the 2020 preview book. Look at and, that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, looking that. forward to chatting with you guys more. Thank you so much, Brett. We appreciate it. We'll definitely do this again. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Right.